The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. With you to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to do a quick review and, and then we'll get into our text. But we're, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been walk, working through Acts. And we're just doing a little an Acts mini-series. We've just finished preaching through uh, the Gospel of John. And it kind of makes logical sense just to see uh, the, found, the beginning of the early church. And the main thing there, the main theme as it's up on our, our uh, screens here, it's the, the continuing work of Jesus in his church. Luke, as he writes Acts, he begins by referring back to his gospel by talking about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And as I keep repeating, the, um, the point being made there is Jesus didn't stop doing his work, but he continues to do his work. Jesus is continuing to, to do his work in the church. And we looked our first week at Acts 1 at the account of the ascension of Christ. And we considered how could it possibly be advantageous for us that Christ would leave us. And yet we saw in that that it's actually extremely advantageous, extremely beneficial that Jesus has left us. He wasn't lying to his disciples when he, say, when he said that it would be to their advantage that he goes. And we considered the priesthood of Christ, how on earth as, as the perfect high priest, he offered the, the best sacrifice that he possibly could offer. He offered himself dying on the cross, atoning for our sins, bleeding and dying for us, absorbing the wrath of God that we deserve, he, he offered himself as a high priest. And as we looked and considered the priesthood, we, we saw that the priesthood is a, a mediator that goes from the reference of men to God. The priest represents man before God. So Jesus ascended on high, and that's why scripture can speak uh, to us about Jesus continually interceding for us, even now, even this very moment, which is an amazing thing. Jesus, the Son of God, is interceding for us. If we have faith in him, if our salvation is built on him, he is interceding for us. He is our perfect mediator. So we consider Christ and his ascension. Then uh, last week, we looked at the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we saw how as Jesus ascends to sit at the Father's right hand, that he sent, he poured out his Holy Spirit. And we saw that it is a wonderful way the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. As the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the apostles, the apostles begin proclaiming the good news of Jesus in languages that they didn't normally speak. They, like, they, these are uneducated Galileans. What is going on? And they, that, yet they're speaking in foreign languages that all those, the people groups that had come to Jerusalem were all of a sudden hearing. And they gathered together and they hear the good news of Jesus Christ preached. And what's interesting was the good news that was preached to them was hard to hear. Because Peter stood among a crowd of people who had demanded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he stood among them and said, you crucified the Lord. You crucified the Messiah. 
And he pointed to the Old Testament scriptures to, to demonstrate how Jesus was and is the Son of God and the Messiah that they had been waiting for. But instead of hearing those hard words and saying, don't tell me that I crucified the Messiah, certainly there were some, but 3,000 people were added to the number of the church that day. They cried out. They said, tell us how then we can be saved. And Peter pointed them to Christ. So this morning, we're continuing. And as I, I talked with the kids, we're looking at Christ's continued work in his church through the testimony of his apostles. Christ's continuing work through the testimony of his apostles. So let me pray, and we're going to read uh, from Acts chapter 3 and part of Acts chapter 4 this morning, and we'll, we'll get into this. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. I love you. I, I pray that you would bless us in this time in your word as we look into it. I pray that you would bless us in the reading and the hearing of your word that you would bless us as it is explained. Father, I pray that you would be with me, that you would help me not to say anything uh, that is not um, in agreement, in full agreement with your word. I pray for all of us hearing, even as I hear uh, my own preaching, convict my heart, help me to be a, a man, help us to be a people who, who are continually repenting, who recognize our sinfulness, and your holiness, who recognize constantly our great need for Christ. I pray that you would give us a deeper conviction for your word, that we would indeed see and delight in it as the rule of our life. Help us, most importantly, to, as we spend time in your word, uh, help it to point us to Christ. Help us to glory in him alone. Strengthen us for this task, Father. I pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit, to understand your word, help us to believe it, and then help us to obey it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter three, beginning with verse one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive uh, something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? 
Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that you may send the Christ, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the, Sad uh, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under, the, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As we see in this account, this kind of second sermon into Acts, it very much repeats the pattern that had happened in Acts 2 as the Holy Spirit came and the apostles are speaking in foreign languages and there, there's the sound of the rushing wind. The, the crowd kind of gathers around together to see what is happening. 
And it creates this opportunity for Peter to proclaim Christ. Here, something notable happens. A man who had for years been witnessed by the people coming and going to the temple, this man who sat in the gate begging for money, all of a sudden was, as scripture says, and as the song that we sang as kids says, was walking and leaping and praising God. It was an undeniable miracle that had happened. Even the rulers, as they the next day bring uh, bring Peter and John in to find out exactly what was going on, they, they recognize that it's undeniable. In verse 16 of chapter 4, we didn't read this far, but they say, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. This healing was something that they just simply couldn't sweep under the rug. It was evident. So we have again in this scene the crowds moving around just wondering at what is happening, that this man that they know is walking and leaping and praising God, and it's with this that Peter begins his sermon. We're not going to walk through each point of the sermon this morning as the main point I want to uh, kind of build off from this is the fact of the uh, church's foundation on the apostles. But the rulers, as they're, as they're brought in in chapter 4, the next day to find out how this happened, to challenge them not to preach Christ, they, they want to know. Their first question to them is, by what power or by what name did you do this? And this is significant. As you read through the sermon, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is mentioned multiple times. First, as far as the power, as their, their question about the power, in, in chapter 3, verse 12, Peter himself says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Got to imagine for part of this is that this is the... This is the generation that had Jesus Christ there with them. For three years, Jesus in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area, up through Galilee, he had been going around performing miracles. Crowds of thousands were coming to him to be healed. Thousands were fed from but a few loaves of bread. Miracle upon miracle were testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So in a sense, Peter is saying you should not be all of a sudden surprised or caught off guard and thinking that in some way this is me, by my power doing this. And he goes on to proclaim Christ. And he does proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he tells the man, that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In verse 16, he says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. In verse 10 of, of chapter four, he tells the 
uh, Jewish authorities, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And he c- goes on, and it becomes a, a theme in, in uh, verses 29 and th- and through 31 of chapter 4. Again, he says, and now, Lord, as they've... They've been arrested. They've been told not to preach in, in the name of Jesus. They've been released. And there's this wonderful scene of, of the apostles and the disciples praying, the church praying together. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand. Get that. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of of your holy servant, Jesus. It's not only in, in the name of Jesus that the apostles were able to heal, but it's under the name, under the authority of Jesus that they, pro, that they preached. It's under his authority and through the power of his Holy Spirit that they were entrusted to take the very word of God and proclaim it everywhere they went. As we saw in the very first week, in Jerusalem and Judea, even Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, they were supposed to take this name, the authority of Jesus. In Acts 3, as we read verse 22 and 23, Peter points to this uh, office of prophet. And as, as we talked about two weeks ago, And just this morning, talking about the office of priest being the mediator that goes from man to God, representing man to God. The prophet represented God to man. So as you read through the Old Testament, you read the prophets, oftentimes you hear, thus saith the Lord. They have been entrusted with a message from the Lord. And in Acts 3, verse 22 Peter draws the crowd's attention to Deuteronomy and to the fact that the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like Moses, but this would be the supreme prophet. This would be the prophet of all prophets. If you would, turn with me over to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, this is, this is uh, the larger portion that Peter is, is here referencing. Deuteronomy 18, beginning with verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. He will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, at Sinai, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And he will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I, will, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not 
commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So the people at Sinai had seen kind of the glory, the glory of the Lord ascend at Sinai. They had seen the clouds and the thunder and the fire and the, they had heard the booming voice of God speaking from the mountain. And they told Moses, look, you, you go and speak to him and then you tell us. It is too great a thing for us to hear God's voice. We are afraid that we're going to die. They recognize their need for a mediator. They recognize their need for someone else to represent them before God and then bring God's word to them. So God promises through Moses that they are, they're, they're good. He said that this is actually a good thing that they're requesting because they are recognizing their sinfulness and my holiness. They are recognizing the need for an advocate, a mediator between God and man. So God promises that he will raise up for them a prophet greater than Moses, a prophet who can truly 100% fully represent God to people. The great prophet. He says in this passage in Deuteronomy 18 that this prophet uh, whom he sends, you shall, you shall listen to him. In the passage that Matt read from Second Peter, Peter references the, the transfiguration where Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up to the mountain and the, his glory was unveiled. And he, his glory shone forth before them. And they see Moses and Elijah there with Christ talking and they hear the voice of God saying, this is my son, my chosen one, my anointed one. Listen to him. Listen to him. In John 10, as we read about Jesus being the good shepherd, remember what Jesus said to his sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In Hebrews 3 as the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus being the, the greater prophet than Moses, the author calls, calls Jesus the apostle, the apostle of our, of our faith. He, Jesus is our chief apostle, the chief sent one. That's what an apostle is, someone who is sent. And God sent Jesus to be his prophet, to, to show us the way of salvation. And the author of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession. This is kind of the analogy that I really want to camp out on. The author of Hebrews says that we are his house. This, this picture of the church as a building is something that is repeated in Scripture. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. The idea of a cornerstone 
is it, it is the first stone that you set. It is the most important stone in, in building the structure because it is by this stone that everything else must be built off of because you set this stone perfectly. It is, it is the stone that determines the direction of the walls. It is, is the, stone, the stone that determines uh, what is level. And if you build everything else off of that stone, everything else will be built level. You keep referencing back to the cornerstone. So Christ himself is the cornerstone and the foundation, as Paul says in Ephesians, is the apostles and prophets. Later on in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul calls the church the bride. And he, he gives this picture of, of marriage where Christ is the groom and the church is, is the bride. Well, these, these two analogies then kind of are mixed in Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, the angel comes to John and he says, Come, let me show you the bride of Christ. So by the time we're getting to Revelation 21 and we've kind of read through the, the New Testament, we've understand the analogy of Christ and his church as, as the church is the bride of Christ. We might expect to, for him to go onto this mountain with the angel and see a great multitude of people. But instead he sees a city. Again, it's this vision, this picture, a picture of, of a reality of this building that is the church. And the gates that are on this building are the, are the name, have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. But the foundation, the 12 stones of the foundation have the apostles' names on them. The apostles are the foundation of the church. Now you might think that that should be reversed because the Old Testament came before the New Testament. So maybe the prophets should be the foundation and the gates should be the apostles. But the reason the apostles are the foundation is because they made clear, they made sense of the Old Testament. They revealed the mystery of Christ to us. The Old Testament is filled with types and shadows that pointed to Christ, but then the apostles came and through the Holy Spirit guiding them in truth, they revealed the truths of the Old Testament to show that they are those types and shadows are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. So we don't, when we read through our Bibles, we, we, create, we have a grievous error if we read our Old Testament, not in light of the new. We are doing a great disservice to ourselves and to the word of God if we read the Old Testament without understanding the new Testament, the new covenant in Christ. In fact, that's the, the whole argument of the author of Hebrews. He says, why are you still clinging to these types and shadows when the substance has come? The substance is here. Now he's not saying, so just take that, take those first books of your Bible and just kind of rip them out and throw them away. They're not important anymore. That's not what he's saying. They can actually lead us beautifully to Christ. If you, as you read through Acts and you read the various statements of um, uh, the various sermons, they were preaching out of the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament like, like we have. They're in the process of writing it for us, what we call inscripturating it, putting it down in words for us. 
it, consider, you don't have to turn there, but the, the end of Acts, and this is just one of, one of many examples, but Paul is, in, Paul is in Rome. He's finally made it to Rome. And it says that from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So there is great reward in reading the Old Testament. In fact, in probably about a month and a half, two months time, we're gonna, or the next book that we're gonna be walking through is Deuteronomy. There is great truth to be, to be uh, seen in the Old Testament. But again, we must read it through the light of the new. We must understand it with Christ. The apostles are, are the foundation of the church. In Matthew 28, as uh, Jesus is about to depart, he gives what we call the, the great commission to his apostles and it begins by, by him saying, all authority in heaven and on, on, on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore. He tells them to teach, the, teach all the peoples all that I have commanded you. So Jesus is given all authority and he hands that authority, he entrusts that authority to his servants, to the apostles, to then take, uh, take his name and be witnesses to him. Again, in Judea and Samaria, to all the earth. This is why, as you read through the New Testament, the apostles have to fight a lot of times to say, look, I know you're hearing all these false teachers saying that they have the word of Christ. They said, we are the apostles. Galatians 1, Paul begins by saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The, the apostles weren't merely men walking around who said, you know what? I think it would be fantastic to be an apostle. Some people tried that. <laughs> Some people do that. In fact, you, you might uh, re remember the account of men uh, trying to cast out demons. And they say, we know Christ and we know Paul, but who are you? The apostles were men appointed by Jesus Christ himself to take, to take the witness, as, as Peter said, as we read this morning, eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ to the world abroad. They were specifically filled with the Holy Spirit and trusted so that what they spoke when acting as under the authority as an apostle, they could write scripture. You and I cannot write scripture. The canon is closed. Uh, in a recent Ligonier Q&A conference, uh, Q&A session at one of their conferences, uh, the question was asked if there are still apostles and prophets. And Sinclair Ferguson said, yes, but they're all in glory. They're all in glory. And he says, but we are all the more blessed for that because we can take what they wrote and know that this is the very word of God. We're no longer wondering, we're no longer left to doubt what does God want from me? What, how is man saved? He says, we have it. We have it all here for us. 
written in black and white for us to understand. Again, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, he's telling the church there that they received, when they came to, to preach to them, they received their word not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Again, 2 Peter 1 Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. We heard the voice of God. Scripture is not produced just by the, the will of man, but it's the, the Holy Spirit moving and working in the man to produce the very word of God. As I referenced last week in, in 2 Peter 3, when Peter says that sometimes Paul is, is difficult to understand, he calls Paul's writing scripture. He says that men take he says, ignorant and unstable men, they twist Paul's words as they do the other scriptures. But he says, we are to take care that we aren't carried away by error so we don't lose our stability. The apostles are the foundation of the church. As I said, they, they revealed even the Old Testament writings to us to reveal the, the mystery that had been lurking in the pages of the Old Testament throughout history, the revealed mystery that the Messiah is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that he would suffer and die for us, pay the penalty for our sin on the cross, that he would raise on the third day, that he would ascend on high. Jesus, of course, himself uh, himself preached the Old Testament as we saw on the road, the account at the end of Luke, as he's on the road to Emmaus with a couple of the disciples, he explains to them all that had to happen to the Messiah, all that was told in the law and the prophets. So the question then, so we have this authority, an authority that Jesus says was given to him by the Father, that he didn't speak apart from the Father's will. And then he entrusted this authority to the apostles. Their words are inscripturated for us that we have, when we hold our scriptures, we can say we have the very word of God. That when we preach or teach, we must remain faithful to it, that we can't go and stray from it because this is the closed canon of scripture. We have the authority of God here in our hands. How do we respond? Well, in both of Peter's sermons so far that we've looked at in this series, he has a very clear response that he calls for the crowd. He calls us to repent. He calls us to believe. In, in verse 19 of chapter 3, he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is something that is for the unbeliever and the believer alike. We never stop repenting. We must, our, our lives must be uh, lives of repentance because we never get to that place where we arrive. We recognize our sinfulness and we recognize the holiness of Christ and we continually repent. But for the unbeliever, it's that, that call to turn away from our sins and turn toward Christ. It's the recognition 
that there's not ma- there aren't many paths to God, but there's one way. Again, in this sermon, and kind of the second part of it is Paul, as Peter is brought before the Jewish authorities, where we ended our reading in verse 12, he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the Bible, we have, and we can be confident that we have the very word of God delivered to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. As Jude says, once for all delivered to the saints. And then the argument that Jude builds from there is he calls us to contend for the faith. We need to, as we stand on this, found, this, this firm foundation that the apostles have given us, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, we have to contend for it. Because just like that house of cards or the, those blocks, if we decide, you know what, this, as Eleanor said, you build it on a good sturdy table. If we say, you know what, that's well and good, but I think that foundation over here sounds better. It's the wisdom of man rather than wisdom of God. And we think, we, well, we can, we can stand on this foundation instead. A lot of times it's because that foundation seems like it might be more comfortable. You know what, this standing true to the word of God is hard especially in a world that is constantly attacking it. And we feel like, no, I want to be more comfortable. I'm tired of the world telling me how foolish I am. I'm tired of the world saying this is what is right. And I'm having to say, but that's not what the word of God says. I'm tired of that. So I'm going to kind of shift my foundations. And the argument that Jude says is, Everything comes tumbling down if you shift the foundation. We must stand firm. We must contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints from the apostles. We must hold fast to Scripture. We can't follow the constantly changing impulses of the world, those impulses that call good evil and evil good. This is, this is so clearly evident right now in the, the new sexual revolution that we are going through, especially in our country, where the world is saying, this is good. The world says, it is, we can't tell someone who they can and can't love. Love is always good. If it's consensual, it's fine. It is uncomfortable to go into that world and say, no. No. It is not fine. It is not okay. But I recognize just because I'm telling someone else that they can't love someone else because it goes against God's very laws of nature, I have to realize my own heart is desperately wicked. And the lusts of my heart are just as condemning as that. So it's not like the message that there's no message of hope for the world that says it's okay to, to love someone from the same sex or whatever that might go to as sin just unravels and unravels and what today the, the standard of the world says is not okay, 10 years down the road, they're gonna be saying it is okay. That's why we have to stand on the foundation of the word of God. 
But the message for me is the message for them. As I see my own sin, I don't see, oh, they are so much worse than I am. Praise be to God that I am not like that person over there. I can't do that. I have the blessing not, not to always stand in the most comfortable place, but to go with it to them in confidence and say the word of God is the standard. The word of God is the standard of truth. In the book, Christianity and Liberalism, the author says, Christianity is founded upon the Bible. It bases, it bases upon the Bible both its thinking and its life. Liberalism, on the other hand, is founded upon the shifting emotions of sinful men. The shifting emotions of sinful men. And that is something that even we, we have to be honest, even we do all the time. When something, when we read scripture, we come before it and we so desperately want to read our own thinking into it instead of humbling ourselves under it. We stand on, on shifting sands, on our shifting emotions. We can't stand on the impulses of our own sinful hearts that oftentimes tell us to run to our own righteousness, that somehow we're going to get to this place where we can say, I'm finally at a place where if Jesus would have found me now, he wouldn't have had to die for me. We have to run from that impulse. We are always in a place of desperate need for Christ. We have to repent of our wrong theology. This is something that as we are studying the word privately or with our families or here in the context of church, we have to constantly be humbling ourselves under the word of God, allowing him to even correct our wrong theology because our wrong thoughts of God are, are sinful thoughts. Just embrace that. If we are wrong in theology, it's sin. So we need to humble ourselves, saying, Lord, reveal to me the truth of your word because I want to humbly put myself under you rather than me being over you and reading into the word what I think it ought to say. This is a, a testimony. I, I think I shared this in a Sunday school class, but a, a, a pastor friend of mine said, uh, at a training session for pastors in Africa, he says he was blown away because as, they, as he, he preached and taught these pastors through the word, in the middle of everything, the pastors would stand up and say, I have to repent. I've been teaching that wrong. Even, even pastors standing up and saying, I am not qualified to be a pastor please pray for me as I go back home and tell my congregation that I cannot be their pastor. That is humbling. And that's how we all ought to come before the word of God, humbled, ready to hear what God has to show us, not what we want the word to show us. We must hold fast to the foundation of scripture handed down to us by the apostles. As I close, I uh, pulled out 
uh, from the closet, a framed uh, charter of incorporation for our church. It's now hanging up in our Connection Center. In 1959, when we first filed for our incorporation with the state, our name at that time was the Church of the Open Door. So if you see that, don't be confused. But on, on the form, you have to put a reason for your incorporation. And there's eight, eight blank lines provided. Those who founded our, our specific church took one line. Said, we're incorporated for the purpose of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. As a church, we have been through many difficult times over the course of the 60 plus years. And it's very easy if we take our eyes off of the goal to lose heart. It's very easy to run. But if we come back and realize that we are here for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to stand firm on the foundation of scripture, to allow it to be our guide, to point us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to magnify him, we're going to be okay. We need to stand on the firm foundation that has been handed down to us from the apostles, the prophets, and stand confident in what it has to say. It is the only book that can show us how we are to be saved and how our lives ought to be ruled by God and God alone. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's salvation in no other name but through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us. In fact, I, I praise you that you've allowed, you have allowed us to be here at this time and place where we have the totality of your word once, and all, once for all delivered to the saints. I praise you that we, we can know your will. That so often we, we do ask that question, oh, Lord, what is your will for, for our lives? And we may not know exactly the details of who we ought to marry, what job we ought to get, and all those sort of things. And yet we can see in your Bible your will for our lives and obedience to you to come to Christ, to see him as, the, as our salvation, our only hope in life and death. And to allow our lives, even who we might choose to marry and what jobs we might choose to take as things that we want to align to your will. To humbly obey, obey you rather than following the wisdom of man or the, our own wisdom. Father, help us to be people who humbly submit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee or online 
at cbcnashville.org.